0: I'm more excited to be talking to you about task management. You are going to love it.
1: We have to accept that tech is coming into the world and we have to prepare our our pupils for the real world. This method is really a game-changing way of invigilating, to be honest.
0: Welcome to the Surpass Community Podcast. Hello and welcome to another Surpass Community Podcast. I'm Ben Brady and I'm joined today by Catherine Myers from our legal team. Good morning, Catherine. Hi there, Ben so just a a quick introduction to today's topic um we're gonna talk about some of the new legal issues well i suppose we say new legal issues they've always been there but legal issues that have come to light with the uh exposure to remote proctoring um online invigilation that a lot of the world is facing as we are still in this lockdown state with covid 19 pandemic um And I think what's kicked all of this off, really, uh, we'll get on to in a bit more detail later, but there have been a few cases coming to the news now that online proctoring has has started taking off uh, where candidates are showing their own concerns and there are various other security concerns, things that have all been considered previously, but because this is new to a lot of people, the, the concerns, I suppose, are, are coming about again. Um, so we just wanted to talk a little bit about those. Catherine, I understand that you've also been doing some work with the Association of Test Publishers recently, haven't you? You've spoken on a couple of their webinars and got another one coming up. That, that right? That's
1: right. That's right. And I've also been helping for a couple of years to write sort of art, articles for the ATP bulletins on privacy and uh, uh, help to put together various sort of advices, if you like, for people in mainly ATP's audience would be America. Mm. But actually they uh, encourage sort of people like myself to write for and contribute from a European perspective. So, So there's lots of ATP guidance on privacy and in particular remote proctoring out there at the moment.
0: Yeah, and uh, I think, again, we'll touch more on this later, but remote proctoring is a, a global thing, isn't it? It's not just in your your country of origin, so to speak, so that, it, right. it, there's a lot of crossover. Okay, excellent. So, uh, as usual, when we're talking about the different teams um, within the the Surpass ecosystem, I suppose, uh, I think this is the first time the legal team has actually been involved in one of our podcasts. So, uh, Catherine, do you just want to give us a quick introduction to yourself, your history, you know, what... Um, what gives you the authority, I suppose, to speak on legal issues and the team that you work with? Yeah, that's fine. So I've
1: worked at BTL in-house for just over three years now. Mm-hmm. And before that, I've worked in-house at other places and in private practice. And I was a specialist IT, data protection and IP lawyer in private practice before I came in-house. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've been doing that about 15 or 16 years now. So a yeah,
0: so good uh, good length of experience there
1: that, that's right and, and and actually over the probably last couple of years i've been helping atp a lot more with public privacy issues in their bulletins as well so mm. online proctoring has uh raised a lot of privacy issues so, so very uh interesting from a as a data protection uh, specialist mm. um at btl to sort of a uh, research these issues and help ATP, help advise our customers really. Uh, So although I normally work for BTL, uh, we have a concern that our own uh, and we look after our own customers at BTL. So we'd hope uh, uh, and be able to guide them on what the ATP guidance is and what the industry standard best practices for uh, use of online remote proctoring to make sure that it legally stands up really. So there are privacy concerns that have been raised certainly during the COVID outbreak uh, Mm. that are relevant to our customers. So we'd aim to use this knowledge that we've got to really help our customers, point them in the right direction, make sure they're using online invigilation in a a legally sound way.
0: Yeah, I I feel like we're in very good hands from that description um, and you're not a lone wolf on the team either there's another two members of our legal that, team as well that are right. working on this so it's not just about um, us as in BTL and our legal responsibility uh, a lot of what we do is assisting the surpass community out there with, with their legal responsibilities uh, okay so I think what, what would be a good thing to start off with today then would be um, the type of requests that have been coming in. So, what what do you normally deal with in your day to day pre COVID nineteen, and then um, what what do we what are we seeing more of? I suppose now that we are within the the, the COVID nineteen era, as it were. The
1: uh... so pre pre COVID, uh, uh, we BTL has been offering online vigilation as a bolt on to its underlying surpass assessment system for about two years so since about 2018 uh, and there's lots of uh, providers out there so, so it's by no means we are by no means the only provider and in the last mm. two or three years it's probably increased in popularity because it gives candidates a choice I suppose it's it's fantastic yeah. for disabled candidates because it gives them the opportunity to, to contest in their own home mm. um, so give some choice there uh, But also during COVID, we've seen it uh, actually a lot of our legal team's workload has probably doubled, I think, with just uh, the difficulty of, so we've seen lots of tests in test centres cancelled since the March lockdown in the UK. And although there are some, uh, as we come out of lockdown into September, October, uh, some clients might um, continue to use physical test centres, we've seen a a very large uptake probably of at least 10 or 15 customers uh, uh, wanting to use online invigilation just really to combat the issues of COVID with students Mm. not being able to go to physical test centres, being able to stay at home and get through a test be it um, a summative test or or a a test to progress their education or or a a test to kind of get a qualification Um, and and so it's been customers have have found it uh, it's been so it's been very popular during the covid outbreak and I suspect that going forward from September it will exist Hand in hand more with physical test centres as physical test centres open up again because it it might be that some candidates still prefer a physical test centre rather than doing a test at home. It it depends very much on the awarding body as well in terms of what their own agenda is, you know. But but certainly it's a a good choice for candidates, particularly disabled candidates, or uh, you know, so, so it just Improves the choice really
0: I, I agree um I think as as a member of the marketing team, you know obviously we 've been making more of a push to let people know that these options are available to try and help them carry on and as business as usual, as we we have heard a lot uh, in these times, and I think what we 're seeing is that it, it started off as a means to an end, but a lot of organizations have been looking at remote proctoring, online invigilation as an option. However, they've maybe been a little hesitant, you know, sort of trying to work out how it fits alongside their existing test centre delivery, that kind of thing. Are there any regulatory issues? You know, there's all these things that go around in the world of um, high-stakes summative testing, and rightly so. Uh, But actually, what we found through our discussions with some of our partners and with members of this past community is actually a lot of the concerns that people had in the first place uh, do do already come into play with their regular concerns about test centres and equivalents and all of this kind of thing. So once they've taken that leap, uh, aside from the, the usual teething issues that may happen with any kind of new new programme or new software or anything like that, uh, you know everybody's thinking, actually, this is a great idea and going forward, we want to keep doing this. Um, now, that segues into our next point which is that not everybody has been a big fan of remote proctoring um and i think that this comes from in my understanding i'm I'm glad i've got you here from the legal team catherine because you obviously will understand this much better than i do Uh, there have been some high profile cases such as one in the netherlands i believe where students are currently trying to sue their university because the university has effectively forced remote proctoring on them, and and that is seen as a privacy concern by the students. Do you want to take us a little bit through that?
1: that, that, That's right. We've been, uh, I mean, in the University of Amsterdam in June, uh, because of COVID, students couldn't progress through their normal end-of-year exams, Hmm. Uh, and so uh, we haven't had a great deal of legal analysis of remote proctoring up to this point, so COVID has and the rise and use of remote proctoring has generated what is the first I would say good case to uh, and and actually there's uh, ATP in particular has poured over the judgment and it's a good case because it's very context specific and it supports remote proctoring but it doesn't mean that it would always stand up legally Uh, Mm. and, and so the university is a public institution And it has a a written constitution that says we will provide education, uh, enable exams to take place, provide diplomas for those exams and so it's got to about March or April and it's decided to use uh, an organisation called Proctorio which is one of many providers of online Mm. vigilation and it's been very careful in how it's approached its decision-making on that so it's gone out to the university's data protection officer and they've Mm -hmm. uh, done what we call a data protection impact assessment. So it's looked at how Proctorio uses and gathers information, uh, how it collects that, Uh, and it's written what is effectively a risk assessment on that against privacy concerns, and concluded that it would go ahead and use online vigilation because it couldn't do anything else. There were going to be students who couldn't progress to the next year of university or couldn't effectively graduate. And and so it said, well, I really need to use whatever my decision making going forward after COVID, after lockdown, to get all these students through the university. Uh, I need to use this now. It's the only thing I can do and it submitted some um, it said if it didn't use online invigilation um, it couldn't really guarantee that there wouldn't be cheating so it submitted some evidence to the court to say uh, if I didn't use this particular software package I couldn't really demonstrate that students weren't using books or using browsers on their internet so so Mm -hmm. in in doing online tests at home there was no guarantee that I couldn't sort of monitor cheating so so it's deliberately taken the decision to use an external software package to to, uh, try and validate validate its results and reduce the uh, scope for students to cheat the tests. Mm. Um, so it 's gone ahead very with very careful considerations about the privacy concerns it 's not uh, consulted with the student body so', so uh, it 's justified necessity and its legitimate interest as a public uh, university to to do this and so, so the student council and one student have objected and the uh, decision has gone to court mm. um, and It stood up in court in in the uh, Netherlands because they'd they'd done their privacy impact assessment, so they'd done their documentation. They they could demonstrate that they'd very very carefully considered what is a balance of interest test in in what the university needs to do to get the students through the exam and actually considering the... uh, data collected and the circumstances of what they did, they minimised the, uh, so it was only university staff who could see the recordings, Uh, the recordings were sampled um, and so they very carefully uh, documented what they were going to do and the court upheld their decision making on that because they said They've been very careful. They've done a balance of interest test in this risk assessment and they've justified it on a necessity basis that they couldn't get students through the exams without doing this and and looked at their constitution Mm. and said, actually, this was justified by their constitution that it says education, public exams, uh, diplomas, but it did suggest that in other circumstances, it wouldn't have stood up so to speak, legally, so so it's not a judgment you can say in every context online proctoring would be valid. Uh, You'd you'd have to, in fact, in the context of the case, uh, because it was a public interest of a public university, Uh, And and around that context, it wouldn't really apply to private awarding bodies or private universities. Uh, It's not a reason to base and replicate what the university have done for private sector bodies who don't have the same constitutional public interest justification to. And actually necessity uh, when we come out of COVID, when we come out of the COVID lockdown, uh, arguably with. The ability to use testing in physical test centres there is actually no justification that this was the only way anymore so, so it was very the judgment is very context specific for a public university but also that actually beyond covid the decision making uh, might not stand up and, and actually you would possibly have to have a consultation with the student body uh, consent you might have mm. to collect consent rather than li- rely on just your constitution and public interest, but also potentially offer a choice as well yeah. on the basis of the judgment, but also a lot of ATP guidance that BTL has been involved with and mm. uh, helped to produce. We've written our own data protection impact assessment. So, so ideally, that mm. would be the BTL customer as the data controller who prepared that Risk assessment, if you like, but right. we've we've done one that a customer could use and uh, take bits from it that it wanted to adopt in its own process. So things like uh, data transfers outside Europe or security. So, so okay. what was particular about the uh, Amsterdam University case, they weren't collecting mm. biometric information there, so this is things like um, facial recognition in a test. Yeah. So this and even is re...
0: keystrokes you can measure, can't that, that's
1: you? That's right, hmm. Key, keystrokes, so these are sort of biometric measures to ensure that the Identity of the person taking the test is who, who you think it is. Mm. And uh, so instead of holding kind of an ID document up or having an, uh, a physical ID document checked, uh, s- some providers are now providing facial recognition technology in some of the tests to right. give uh, an, a more accurate and faster assessment of identity. So The Amsterdam University case didn't involve use of biometrics, Hmm. but we've seen some uh, data protection authority guidance popping up around Europe since the Amsterdam case uh, to say that actually students really need to give cons if they're going to take an online test using biometrics. that really has to probably, it won't really stand up unless it's done by consent there, express consent. Right. Uh, and then the choice issue still arises. Uh, it, and it's also an issue in America, that because there's at least uh, one state in Mass- Massachusetts, I know of, uh, hmm. there might might be even be more now, where uh, consent to use biometric data is an issue in America as well. So for right. our American customers, um personal data, well, certainly with the passing of the California law in the 1st of July, but Mm -hmm. also other laws in America where consent for personal data and biometric use so, so, candidate consent would also be needed in some states in America now for th- this type of—if you were using biometrics in in the test.
0: Right. Okay. And um, that—that's kind of the California one you mentioned. It's kind of like their that, equivalent to right. GDPR, I suppose, isn't that, it for that's our right. European listeners? And, um, and
1: Massachusetts has um, a requirement on consent to use biometrics or of an individual. Hmm. Uh, so, so the same issues we're seeing in Europe about candidate consent and choice will start to uh, bubble up in America, I, I think now. So, um, so, as I said, we do a data protection impact assessment, uh, and we're mm. very happy to share our time in, w- with customers who we're onboarding to mm. use our processes to really sort of point them in the direction of uh, where they feel comfortable. Yeah. and, and For example, if they didn't want to use biometrics, uh, it would probably mean they couldn't justify a test without candidate consent uh, or or they'd need candidate consent if they wanted to use a biometric um, uh, measurement of some kind in the online invigilation software uh, or or how how best to make this kind of testing legally stand up for customers in terms of You know, how how they want to use it in practice, how they want to justify the legal basis of collection uh, of Hmm. people's data.
0: And I suppose um, what I know of uh, data protection anyway, there are all sorts of other things to consider, like, you know, the right to be forgotten, I suppose. Does that come into play with something like remote proctoring or by saying that you agree to be proctored in your home, you, you appreciate that data will be kept for a minimum of, say, six months while it's marked and invigilated and audited and all that kind of thing. How, how does that interact?
1: It, it is. So we've, uh, um, the data controller has to set the on the video recordings the time it wants to keep those uh, videos of candidates mm. to make sure it's got through the appeals process or, or done its uh, marking. Um, mm. Now, in, in France, uh, there is some legislation which says that you you can't keep videos of people for more than 72 hours so in the ATP guidance uh, one thing to consider is how long you keep things for and if actually you want to keep things for six months um, you're probably better justifying that on the basis of candidate consent Mm. and not just legitimate interest or public interest uh, use because uh, the longer you're keeping it uh, so six months are if you wanted to keep it that long and not have a shorter retention period, um, generally we'd, we'd say you probably need to justify that on the basis of consent.
0: Right. So, I mean, I, what I'm taking away from all of these points at the moment is basically preparation, preparation, preparation. It, it's all about making sure everything is as, as lined up as possible, isn't it, before you start talking to experts like yourself and just making sure that you've covered off. And then those, um that those rules I suppose are in your consent so when the candidate comes to you and says I want to take this exam you say yes you can but here are the, the T's and C's you have to agree to this is that, that, that
1: that's right in a yeah, nutshell yeah uh, and, and you'd probably have to be very clear on what the exam rules were whether you mm-hmm. could have toilet breaks at home you know or, yeah. or no toilet breaks. Um, what materials you could have on the desk if you, um, you know, is it open book? Is it closed down? Is your browser shut down? So so Mm. uh, making it very clear what the exam rules are and what the process is, what the data retention is uh, and what what would constitute cheating potentially as well.
0: Right. Okay. You know, So, so
1: some clear rules for sort of candidates, really.
0: Yeah, because I've seen some examples, not from our tests, but when I've been researching other remote proctoring organisations and people that are using it. And certainly if you, you know, a quick Google search or Reddit forum search something, you'll see candidates saying, well, it's not fair. I was told that I I wasn't allowed any kind of noise at all, but I live in a semi-detached house and they've got a noisy child next door. So, you know, by association you're probably going to hear some crying at some point or you know an ambulance passes by outside there's all these really i suppose granular things that you know that's
1: right busy houses with children in them Mm. and actually one concern that people raise is what if a spouse or a family member accidentally bobs into view of the camera yeah you know uh, and i honestly don't know the answer to that because they've not given their consent to be recorded so if actually some of these concerns about noise and other people and not having enough space at home to sort of do, do this in peace without other people accidentally bobbing into the screen, perhaps if people are concerned about that, it's not the right option for them, you know. Mm. Uh, and actually that that's where the sort of physical test centre choice still comes in there if it's not suitable for everyone.
0: Yeah, and again, I mean, I am not a lawyer. I'm certainly not a, a US defense attorney or anything like that but i've heard a few stories where people have brought the idea of wiretapping um over in the states as a thing so you know if, if somebody does walk into shop because they haven't given their express consent to be on camera um that that's actually a, a violation of wiretapping laws over there which I suppose it just seems a bit strange because in our everyday lives now, you know, everyone's got cameras on the phone, FaceTiming, walking down the street, and you you can't get away from it.
1: it that's right or, or even a google uh machine or alexa machine in your own home is probably a <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. oh, that's it my, my friends the first thing they do
0: when they walk into my house is ask alexa to say something inappropriate usually but um, <laughs> you know it's yes. uh, but that's the thing is if if you haven't got a big sign on your door i suppose saying warning by entering this house you are agreeing to my terms of having an uh, an amazon or google device plugged in and <laughs> not, it's, uh, at what point are we going to have terms of service on our front doors um you, you never know so uh, yeah we we can prepare as much as possible i think uh, you've done a great job there thank you catherine explaining through the dutch university case uh, that's certainly a, a lot clearer to me as a layman and i'm sure uh, everybody who's listening today has will appreciate that explanation um so let 's move on uh, and talk a little bit about surpass and our remote proctoring service in general um, you've already mentioned quite a bit I think about how we you know we work together with surpass community and we're quite happy to to assist. Um, if I could just put it as a, a more blunt question as we get towards the end of this podcast, you know how does the surpass remote proctoring service uh, i've written in my notes as stack up legally I know that's not a very Um, legal term but uh, you know what kind of potential hurdles have we seen can we give some examples of what we've helped customers overcome while discussing this with them
1: so so we've got uh, uh, we've written our data protection impact assessment and customers are very welcome to see that and Mm. in that we make suggestions for uh, data retention periods have to be considered Mm. Um, if you don't if you want to do the ID document checks yourself so that no other party i mean we've got very strong access controls on the software to make sure that only certain people can log in to see the videos but if you wanted for example to do the id checks yourself uh, so that uh, again that would be another layer of um, security uh, we've got a lot of detail about the security controls we've got in there, the levels of encryption in the service and mm-hmm. password and access controls. Um, um, a lot of information in there about uh, the data flow uh, and wh- which company is seeing that to do the online reviews yeah. um, and uh, h- how that's set up in terms of the data flow as well as the security so, and then guidance on whether you offer a choice, uh, how you justify the legal basis of collection for, you, for your own awarding body, mm-hmm. and that could be multiple things. It could be legitimate interest or candidate consent, depending on the nature of your organisation, mm. but for longer data retention periods, um, and uh, it's more the process is more likely to stand up if you get candidate consent generally and a choice whether you want to use biometrics in the service so in quarter four the uh, some facial recognition will be an option in in the software that we use but again it's not uh, if it wasn't for everybody you wouldn't have to use that so there are some choices Mm. in how you set it up and we can uh, depending on the nature of the organisation, uh, th- this document will help our customers to design a process for them that uh, is more likely to stand up legally.
0: Yeah, so we, we offer a service, but it, it's a tailored service to each customer. It, it's not just a one-size-fits-all, you buy a remote proctoring and this is how it works.
1: That, that's right. Mm. So there's some choices there in how you'd want to set up the service for yourself, really, to uh, for your own needs. Um, um, so we've very, you know, uh, got an internal team that can help to do that. Mm. Uh, and you know, our time isn't sort of in the legal team. Ha- very happy to sort of chat, chat through the risk assessment and yeah. uh, that we've done internally in the ATP guidance to, to with customers to make sure that customers are aware of that uh, and know how to set up the service for themselves and their own candidates so they're more likely to defeat privacy concerns
0: Mm. okay that all sounds really good um i know that we've got you know the surpass community in general we encourage collaboration as well so there are uh, customers out there who have helped us with other podcasts and webinars as a wealth of resources on surpass.com under the community section. So if you do want to hear from any other organizations, uh, any of our partners, uh, especially, say we're talking today from the UK, but we do have US specialists in there helping us out with these things as well. So plenty of resources in there. Just to finish off today then, Catherine, um, now there's a lot of talk as well of things at the moment about um, is remote proctoring, comparable to a test centre experience so for example if one candidate passes in a test centre a a year ago or a year from now would a remote proctoring candidate have any grounds to say well i did mine during covid i I didn't have the option of a test centre i want a free retest or something have you any any comments
1: um, on that? No, I, I think if the awarding body often there's some um, after everybody's taken their test, there's some adjustment in the marks, isn't there? Mm. So that you've got so many who've got A's, B's, C's, D's, E's, or, or whatever your grading boundaries are. Yeah. So, so I, don't, I don't think it would. It's more uh, about privacy concerns. I, I, I can't see how you could appeal the validity of your test results. It's it's a much mm. more difficult basis to. Um, do that, I think. So so I think the test process would be comparable, whether it's in a physical test centre or or if it's an online invigilated test. It's difficult to see how, if if actually the candidate has the same access to materials
0: Mm.
1: online as it would in the test centre, it's difficult to see how, uh, I think the tests would be seen as comparable.
0: Yeah. Okay, and I think some of our psychometric partners over in the U.S. Um, have done studies and, and things on this as well, talking about, you know, the the idea of the psychology of the different area that you're taking the test in, all that kind of thing. So there is a lot of coverage on that um, already, but I, I suppose the thing is to see in, in a, a year's time, will we have any cases to go to like the Dutch University one where people try and um, have marks change on that basis. It'd be interesting that's times, right. won't it, a year from now? That,
1: that, that's right. Yeah, very, very much so.
0: Excellent. So I think we're coming to the end of our planned topics of discussion today. Um, could you maybe just give us a, a quick summary or any closing comments you have, Catherine?
1: So I think um, the guidance, the, certainly the Dutch case that was... Um, came to light in June it, from the Netherlands, and some European Data Protection Authority guidance that we've had during COVID has uh, clarified that remote proctoring has to be considered and documented and has to be a balancing test of you know privacy against expectations of the university. So mm-hmm. it has to be carefully documented and considered to actually stand up legally. Mm-hmm. So although the Dutch university Uh, their decision making was upheld Uh, it points to where actually beyond COVID decision making might actually fall down Uh, and so it's not um, a guarantee that all online invigilation is legally sound, it has to the circumstances of each uh, awarding body and the context of the test have to be considered really for for a balancing test for privacy of the candidate.
0: Mm. Brilliant okay uh right so that wraps up today's podcast a a little bit more formal than usual discussions with this past team but uh, it's been brilliant speaking to you catherine i'll look forward to speaking to you again in the near future maybe next time we can have a bit more of an introduction to the team in general get a couple of your colleagues on and we talk about the the other things that you do apart from remote proctoring i know you guys are always busy dealing with all kinds of things um but uh, have you enjoyed your time oh, on the thank podcast you. today?
1: Yes, thank, thank you, Ben. It's been v- very good. Thank you very much.
0: Brilliant. And your next webinar, I believe, is with the ATP, and it's an Ask the Attorney session. That's in mid-August, is that correct?
1: That, that's right, yeah. That's right. Uh, for, on similar subject matter, I think. So.
0: Mm, brilliant. Well, we, we always like to recommend the ATP presentations. They always come out with some really good stuff so thank you once again for joining me today catherine thank you everybody thanks very much yeah uh thank you everybody in this past community who's listened through this far and we'll be back again with another podcast soon
1: we hope you enjoyed today's podcast to keep up with the latest information from the surpass community just visit surpass.com we'll be back soon with another podcast thank you for listening